Hey everyone, welcome to Train Shuffling. I'm Johnny. I'm Eric. And today we have a special guest, Randy. Hey there. Hey so Randy, Ran- how are you? Oh no. All right, you want to start over? <laughs> no, you were supposed to keep going. <laughs> this is Radio Gold. Randy is a local 18xx player. He's been playing for quite a while. When did you start playing 18xx? Um, well, my very first game of 18xx was, I think, in 99 or 2000. I uh, started with 18 Georgia because a guy in our local group was a playtester for that. And I also got to play Alabama that year and then mostly took a long hiatus until we moved to New Hampshire about nine years ago. And I've been playing very steadily since then. Nice. So about 20 years into the hobby. So Eric and I have been talking about how difficult it is to get enough players to play with. And then we found out that there's this whole underground world of 18xx right nearby that we're now becoming a part of. Yeah, we're, we're underground now. Underground. The Underground Railroad. All right, so let's uh, let's start with our, our get back to our rigid structure and receive starting capital. Yeah, let's thank our sponsors. I'm going to thank Midgard Hobbies and Games in Derry, New Hampshire. Who are you going to thank? I'm going to thank Luxury Playstyle for making luxurious non-18xx tokens for us. Yeah, it's not really relevant. <laughs> we got we to gotta get... <laughs> Can I get that train, that priority deal? I actually, so I actually uh, talked to Maddie about this, and he said it's typically very expensive to do uh, small runs of coins, but to send him our design if we wanted to see how much it would cost to get like some sort of metal priority token made. Ooh, that'd be fancy. So it's, po- it's a possibility. All right, it's in the works. Thanks also to our patrons. Uh, we can be patroned at patreon.com slash meekinformant. We will soon, at some point in the future, when we're properly motivated, make that a redirect so we can just say traintruffling.payus.com or something. Um, But we really appreciate uh, people supporting the show. We're saving up our dollars and cents for some sweet, sweet microphones for our YouTube page, page, channel. Yep. And... uh... On that note, the basement is done, Ooh. and I've started to set up the recording studio down there. Got a few mounts and struggling through uh, the growing pains of, of trying to get things set up in a way that will work for us for in a, on a more permanent basis, but we'll get there soon. Yeah, we, we got to break in. We had our inaugural 18xx game down there last Wednesday. That was yep. pretty exciting. Yeah, our second second game of 1862. Yeah, so. we'll talk about uh, that soon. We will. But before that, private auction. And it's very fortuitous that the correction that we have is that last week we asked for people's first and second order knowledge for 18xx, and we missed Randy's answer. Yeah. But, but since he's here with us today, we'll have him answer it now. I don't know if missed is the correct word. Just ignored. We, yeah. <laughs> Intentional omission. <laughs> it's usually smart. Uh, what, I, what I wrote was that um, I'm most interested when I'm learning a new 18xx title, I'm most interested in the rules for company financing. I find that when you learn the rules 
behind the cash flow into and out of the companies, um, it, it really informs all the decisions, at least that I'll make in the game. Uh, some of that is play style. I tend to play um, very nice with my companies and run good companies. Uh, but even for those of you speculators out there who like to trash companies and dump them, company finance is pretty crucial to the when and the why of making those decisions. So by company financing, you mean um, like full cap versus partial cap? Mm-hmm. That, that would be one question you'd want to ask. Is this full cap? Is this partial cap? Is this incremental cap? Uh, what are the emergency fundraising rules? Uh, what sort of uh, dividend options do I have? Can I split? Can I only full pay or keep? Um, are there other ways to get money into the company? Do shares ever pay in? And if so, where do they have to be to pay in? Um, are there some privates or something that you can get in there? It's, it's really about understanding how you can get money into the company and also, for you speculators out there, how you can yank the money out of the company, too, so that you can go and invest it in other companies. Cool. That was helpful. Thank you. And what's your second-order knowledge, Randy? Uh, my second-order knowledge, uh, which isn't really uh, company finance-related, is is about learning how to read the board. So um, it takes a, a little bit of getting used to, but... Um, when you're presented with a new title, you want to you want to take some time to really familiarize yourself with the map. You want to know where the the high revenue centers are, where those starting locations are for the companies, um, and you really want to look at the green tiles and the brown tiles and the gray tiles and understand what kind of track you're working with and um, where the choke points are likely to be. Take note of where the terrain is. It's um, it'll make your life a lot easier. So, yeah. And something think, to work on. And I think that at this point, we, we sort of get that information throughout the course of our first play. And then we're a little bit better at it in our future plays, our subsequent plays of it. Uh, reading a new board of a new game, that's a skill that probably takes a little while to, to master. Yeah, it, it takes a while. And it's not, at least it's not one that, that I've mastered um, but it does help inform those early decisions. Cool. Well, sorry for intentionally omitting your very useful <laughs> knowledge. <laughs> no, we, we really do appreciate people, uh, responding to the questions. It gives us a, you know, a lot to think about and it's surprisingly difficult to like, if I get an email that I see like while I'm at work in the middle of a day. And then my wife asked me to do three things before I get home. And then I like managed to not write that down in our little notes thing for the next episode. Like a week later, I'll just, you know, <clears throat> I'll manage to forget somebody. So if we do, uh, I apologize and let us know and we can try and bring it up because, you know, we're not uh, totally overrun with answers right now. But speaking of which, let's go into initial the initial stock round. That's our listener question answers from this last episode. Um, which we did not get very many, but Johnny did a last minute ping and we got, we got some people answering, including one that I don't think is in your notes. Uh, correct. Yeah. We, yeah, we just got one like 15 minutes ago that I didn't add in. So, but we'll it's added. We'll... Nice. It. It's there now. So technology, but first the question, 
What is the craziest thing you've seen happen in a stock round and or just in a game of 18xx in general? We got a response from Phil Campau. I hope that I'm saying that right. In a recent online game of 1828, we had a stock round that lasted a little over two weeks. And to be clear, it's not that people were taking their time. Several actions a day were happening. I think six or seven companies floated in that stock round. At least two, if not three or four companies got dumped onto someone else. Shares were trashed to affect operating order. Companies were merged to boost up their share value and move up their operating order. In the end, things got a little crazy, and somehow one of the players who up until that point was all but out of the game came out on top and ran away with the game during the next set of ORs. Wow. That sounds intense. Sounds like 1828. <laughs> I wonder how long that two-week stock round would have taken in person, because it sounds like it would have been fairly lengthy. <laughs> like, potentially, like, I'm thinking this probably took, like, 30, 40 minutes in real yeah, I mean, time. I've heard about, like, hour-long kind of, stock rounds, but yeah. I've experienced it myself. Uh, 1828 is a title that that sounds very interesting to me. I would I haven't played 1830 yet. Um, yeah, do that one first. So I should do that first. But I've, I've heard good things about 28. So we have access apparently now. Yes. Yeah, we saw a copy. Uh, a a JC uh, homebrew copy too. It's it's one of the originals. And I, I gotta say, all the things that he's been saying about you know laminating on mat, whatever you know, five and ten and seven mil. Laminate looks it's it's right. It looks pretty good. I'm I'm sold. So now I need to get all all that stuff. <laughs> Damn it. Um, Phil also looks like he answered about eighteen Ireland as well. Uh, he said some friends of mine played a four player game of eighteen Ireland recently, where one in one stock round a company got dumped onto a player who then dumped it onto a third player who then had that company bought out from under him by the fourth player who realized it worked well in his situation, which is pretty great. <laughs> um, and then we also, oh, I guess, Randy, you have a, a tale to tell. Uh, well, I was going to tell a similar tale of 1830, but I wasn't actually present for it. But it's it's one of those chestnuts that the local group talks about where in a, a stock round, uh, a company was dumped twice. And then the person who ended up having it ran it for another set of ORs and then dumped it on yet another person. Uh, and so there was sort of a multiple uh, rip of uh, money out of this company for, for privates. Uh, they all thought it was good fun. I'm sure whoever ended up with it didn't think it was as much fun. <laughs> oh. And then you, you were telling me a story that isn't about a stock run, but I found it to be pretty amusing. So I was hoping that you could tell us that one as well. Yeah, one of uh, one of our um, our members uh, is known for finding particularly interesting or nasty moves, and in one game of eighteen thirty that has become famous. Again, this is before my time. Uh, he managed to lay all of the uh, tight track in the game uh, down around the the southern edge of the border, so that there was no more tight track available in the game. This is eighteen thirty. It was 1830, and he was running B&O, and so he had all the stuff in the south, and no one else could really even reach it to upgrade it to free up the track. So it, there were just no more tights in that game. <laughs> yeah, I think that's something that Johnny's going to get a big kick out of is, like, when he – I know in particular Johnny's good at being really mean when he needs to be. <laughs> and, and I think he's going to see the restrictive tile lay as in, in 1830 as just, like, a wonderful – spa vacation 
Uh, it's funny because it doesn't sound like a compliment, but I'm going to take that as a compliment. It is. You're real good at <laughs> winning. And I mean, I, I say being mean, but like, you're, you know, you win. You do what it needs to be I do what needs to be done. Yeah. We call it a badge of horror. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, so Christopher Rao also responded last minute here. Um, thanks, Christopher. He said he lost 1830 by $1 to a player complaining most of the game about how boring it was to play the B&O. Um, and then he also saw his brother-in-law go bankrupt in 1830 by a dollar. Uh, each game was live using rails on a TV. So I guess not sure what the relevance there is that last, that, that last bit, but cool. Thanks for sharing. I think he's, uh, one of the Seattle guys. I, I, I met him once at, uh, Chattanooga. Isn't that nice? I love how tight knit this community is. <laughs> you gotta be pretty special to want to play with, uh, a spreadsheet game like 18xx yeah special is the word um <laughs> let's lay some track let's go on to 18xx news what do we got all right so if you've ordered 1862 you probably have it in hand unless you ordered it through a, like a retailer and not through gmt because uh it seems like those are a little bit behind but a lot of people have 1862 in hand now and i think equally as exciting, Rails on Boards released their token set for 1862, which has um, a full set of color matched wooden tokens. Yeah, that's so, pretty great. Yeah. Have we have we ordered our copy of those? Yeah. No, I keep saying I'm gonna order it today and it's been like a month since I've been saying that. All right, well, let's just place it right now. We can just say our addresses and then <laughs> our credit card number is, and then they'll just put the order down, right? Yeah, sure, you give your credit card number. Okay. <laughs> what if the uh, Nigerian prince needs it? You should really hold it in readiness for him. <laughs> well, it was very obviously for rails on boards. So the problem is, is that I, I want to, and it's really ridiculous because the shipping isn't that expensive, but I want to be efficient with shipping costs. So I'm like, I'm going to just wait until I figure out all the sets I want to order. And then I keep on realizing sets that I want to order. Just order all of them then. Yeah. <laughs> like... Order everything that they make right now. I mean, there's only like five games, right? Except for 46. I did well, it the expensive <laughs> way. I, I own the original copy, and I also uh, bought the GMT copy, and I just took the wooden components from the first one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a so good So if you want to spend like 120 bucks, you can get all those tokens. Yeah. The original copies are only like 50 bucks right now because of the GMT. Mm-hmm. Just a $50 but, token set. Yeah, the 1862 token set from Rails on boards is like 20 bucks, I think, or 25 <laughs> I think they said it's their largest set. Think about you're getting an entire second copy of the game for another $20, right? So Yeah, actually. You can play it twice. Right. And put set up two games side by side. Okay. <laughs> um, some other fun news is that we got invited to play an online game of 1830 with uh, Chris Whitpan, who's one of the hosts of Wheel Tapping, and Craig Taylor and Dave Moss of The Train Rush. Yeah, so... We're waiting for that to happen. We both joined Hogs, which I had seen peripherally and now had heard mentioned on Derailed, which Hogs stands for the Heavy Online Gaming Society. It's not it. That's not it. <laughs> heavy Online Gaming Slack. I don't know. Oh, it might be God. Slack. Let's keep keep going, Eric. Let's see how many you can come up with. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to figure it out. You go on. Give me, go on without me. <laughs> All right, let's lay some tokens. So um, titles of interest, I'll just say Eric's Forum because we're playing 1861 online still, and 
the only other game we've played and um, pretty much the only one that we've been interested in playing lately is 1862. So we've played it twice now, a five-player and a four-player game, and I've actually played it a third time at three players. And um, Randy's played it 93 times. 94, maybe as high as 96. <laughs> it does slightly predate my regular uh, logging plays, but only slightly. So yeah, lots of... 1862. And then I appreciate uh, a few people reached out to me about copies of 1860 when I made my plea on the, the previous episode about really wanting a copy. Um, I did find a copy and purchased it and it's on the way and um, yeah, it'll be fun. I should have a playable copy for us on Saturday. <laughs> yeah. And I probably so if you don't like it. <laughs> I probably won't be able to make it on Saturday. Uh but I'm hoping that like early January that we will, because of the holidays, we're probably not doing any streams um, before then, but hopefully like early, mid-January, we'll get a stream going and we'll do 1860 on stream. Excellent. All right. So I'm pretty sure that Hogs is the heavy online games group Slack, but I can't find the exact thing. So. <laughs> oh, there's two Gs. There's, there's two, two Gs. Gs. All right. Hogs. What do you say? You want to run some trains? Nope. No. No, you yeah. Pay your divs. <clears throat> yeah, you gotta pay your, <laughs> pay your divs. So we're gonna talk about 1862, and we are going to analyze it as best we can. As uh, to actually, so you've played it three times now, Johnny. You said, yeah, and two for me. So I'm the noob, and I guess Randy might <laughs> have some stuff to contribute potentially. Maybe. <laughs> so, I guess one of the biggest things about this game that there's like a first of all there's a million things that are different about this game coming from other 18xx games that i've been exposed to the traditional titles that tend to be used to introduce people like 1846 or 1830 or 89 um and i think the biggest thing that after having played it jumps out to me is that there are three different train types and the impact that that has on the game that's a big big thing yeah. And b before we talk about what those three types are, I didn't put it in the notes, but very, very closely tied to that is a very interesting thing about the map is that it's a very small map and every single spot on the map is either a town or a city. Yeah, that's not something that jumps out at, out at you necessarily. Um, I didn't notice it until Randy pointed it out, actually. But it's very closely teach. related to what we're about to talk about with the train types and how the different trains run. So I just wanted to mention that. Sorry for the interruption, Eric. That's all right. I'm kind of meandering <laughs> here. Um, so the three chain types, if you haven't played the game, are locals, express trains, and freight trains. And they each calculate revenue differently, and they concentrate on different aspects of the map and uh, track development. So locals run, they're like a, you know, a, a four or a five, or they also have like a, they do the two slash three train thing. Um, that happens in 1846 where it'll run, uh, you know, to three stops, but only count revenue from two. Um, but it'll run X number of cities and it'll count all the dits in between. And each dit it'll count for, you know, $10. And then additionally for every tile that it hits along the way, sequentially, including all the cities, it, it'll put $10 into the company treasury in addition to all the revenue that it's you know either paying out or withholding. Uh, before Mike can correct you, the dits are twenty pounds in uh, 
1862. Whoops. Yep, thanks. <laughs> just as good as the regular yellow cities. Right, so it just it just makes all these extra cities pop up in between, basically, um, which is pretty cool. Express trains are like traditional trains that you see in a lot of other 18xx games where a three train can hit three cities, but they, they entirely ignore dits. They don't. So like tra they're like traditional express trains that what most games would call an express train, except that's that right, you act yeah, right. like a three E yeah. or something in a, right. In a lot of other titles. Um, and then freight trains are hex trains. Like in 1849, I apologize if you can hear my cat meowing in the background. Um, she's very, she just pooped. So <laughs> very proud of herself. No, it's a bad time. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, freight trains are hex trains. So, you know, if it's a seven or something, it can cross seven hexes. Um, it counts the value of the two endpoints plus $20 per tile, uh, counted as the crow flies, right? So it's distance traveled between the tiles. So if you you know, zigzag back and forth and end up one one space away, you don't get any bonus. But if you, you know, move seven tiles down the map, you calculate seven times $20. And if one of the endpoints is a port, you count $30 per tile. So there's a strong incentive to have one end be a port and one end be a high value location somewhere else. Yeah. And of course, all of this, uh, and this is my fault for, because I wrote the notes down, but this is all in pounds, actually. But uh, we're probably going to continue to say dollars. It's impossible we're, not we're because we're Americans. So. <laughs> um, yeah, so the trains are really cool, and especially I think the fact that each company starts the game with a random um, permit to only run one type of those trains. So I, I don't know if that's a separate note you have in here yet. I haven't peeked ahead. In yeah, the notes, but. so it... It's interesting. So each company starts with the one permit type, so you can only run that type of train. Uh, later on in the game, as, as companies start to merge, you will have a single company running uh, multiple train types, which leads to some really interesting uh, puzzles because every every route has to has to touch another route. Every every route from a company has to touch each other in in a spot, and one All of those routes has to. Right. So they don't have to meet end to end, but they all have to one one point of both routes have to intersect. And you um Wow. You do. Yeah. Wow, I lost my train of thought there. You can only and, count uh, revenue. <laughs> you can only count revenue of each city once. <laughs> Right. So uh, if they meet at a spot, uh, only one of those trains gets to count that spot uh, for its revenue, um, which makes the slashy trains a little bit more valuable. Mm -hmm. And that right. makes your, uh, your, your combinations uh, interesting because one of the types of trains that we talked about was the freight train where it only counts endpoints and the other two count everything they hit i mean the expresses ignore dits but they count the the tiles in between so freights tend to combo with both of the other types very well but express and local trains don't really play as well together right so it's an interesting puzzle trying to build up your end game company if you have one big <clears throat> i've seen randy referring to this as a megacorp where you <laughs> are putting your your 
you're engineering this perfect like money-making machine at the end of the game that has lots of you know synergistic trains and routes to run and get the maximum money out of it it's also different than like that point where each revenue location only gives you money once makes the traditional patterns in 18xx kind of dissolve where you're like i want to get three two trains and run out of the big city to this little dit in three different routes um and that you can't do that in this game so it it really kind of changes things up a little bit for somebody who's been steeped in that a little bit more like like us yeah I think describing the game as a puzzle is very apt um, because not only are you randomizing the license types that are assigned to the companies, but four companies are randomly removed from the game. And uh, only the first eight of, of the 16 companies left in the game are available at the start with the other eight becoming available later. And the order that they come in and the license type they come in and the ones that don't come in have a serious impact on the uh, end game track development. So uh, it's very much a puzzle. You hear that, that Johnny? We're apt. Hmm? We're apt. <laughs> apt. <laughs> apt pupils. Um, uh oh. That got dark. It's a bad movie. Yeah. Uh, so there's some. Uh, there's some notes in here that we'll, we'll probably skip over because they might be going into a little bit too too much minutia Agreed, of the game. Yes. Um, but one thing that I did want to talk about, uh, which I think what we just talked about is a good segue to this, is the parliamentary round and the fact that there's you kind of have two options when starting a company. You have your chartered companies uh, and your non-chartered companies. So actually, Randy, if you could talk a little bit about the decisions in that in the parliamentary round or or waiting for the stock round to start a company the impact that that has on the game i think let's would be really let's just helpful. preference real quick that by chartered and non-chartered those terms in this game chartered means full cap companies and non-chartered means partial cap companies and you have the option in different parts of the game parliamentary rounds for chartered country uh, chartered companies and stock rounds for non-chartered companies or or partial caps and, and only them. because Sorry, go ahead. Uh, no, that you have to decide how to start each company and how it's going to be funded. Right. And as a side note, only because I know we're going to get comments on this, I recently was reading a thread about the difference between incremental cap and partial cap. Yes. So I would call this incremental cap because yes. you capitalize based on each share purchased, whereas partial cap is incremental almost would be like a subset of part of partial cap because partial cap could mean that you partially capitalize now and then you could receive the other 50% later all in bulk where it's okay. incremental is always per share. The more, you know, I was going to say something and, that, and it's like, <laughs> no, I'll just, I'll just use the correct term when I go into my spiel. Um, yeah. So in the parliamentary, so, so the game has both a parliamentary round and a stock round in addition to the operating round. So the parliamentary rounds always first, and in the parliamentary round, players have the ability to auction off the rights to start a company. And so in that case, priority deal uh, is mitigated to a large extent because if somebody puts up a company that you admire, you'll have an opportunity to bid on it if, if you've got the money and the desire to do so. Parliamentary companies uh, are chartered companies, and they start with full capitalization, um, less a hefty bribe 
uh, both in terms of the bid and in the high price tokens that um, they have to buy. Uh, parliamentary companies always have three tokens and the home station is one of them. Uh, and they um, get the full capitalization less 180 pounds. So it, it's a pretty, pretty steep price. But you get to pick the company um, in front of other players because you get to bid on it and you get a lot of money to play with. The um, non-chartered companies can only be started in the stock round. And in that case, as, as your stock action, as your buy, you just say, I want to start this company and you buy a presidency, which is 30%, and you pick your your par value, you pay that amount, three times that amount into the company's treasury, you put all the other um, shares into the company's treasury, just like you would in 1846. Unlike 1846, you still got to get to 50%, but um, the money that you pay is the money that it has, and it will then buy its tokens when it when it operates, when it floats at 50%, and um, it can buy any number from two to seven, uh, paying 40 pounds each, and one of those that it, it must buy is, of course, its home station, so if you buy two tokens, you're only going to have one to deploy, uh, one that will come onto the board in a fixed location. Uh, but you get a little little cheaper of the tokens, you get a lot of token flexibility, but you will also, the, the chartered companies will have less money for buying trains, at least in the early game. Later on, you can, uh, you can start them at different par values than the parliamentary companies. Uh, uh, up to 200 pounds. So if you start a non-charter company at 200 pounds, you can pump some serious cash into it and it'll have way more money than uh, a so-called full cap company could ever dream of having. Yeah, so it's it's kind of, uh, it's an interesting decision because there's a, there's a couple aspects to that decision. If you, if you really want to start a company as a non-chartered, you... If you don't have priority, you're taking a risk not putting it up in the parliamentary round. But you may really not want to start it as a chartered company. Um, so that's one part of the decision. Uh, the other part of the decision is that you know early in the game, they're really powerful because you don't have a lot of money and you get a huge sum of money up front and you're essentially getting that money at half price. Assuming, assuming that you buy five shares. You, know, you could obviously ultimately buy the rest of the shares and then you're not paying half price, but up front you're paying you're paying half of the amount of money you get minus the tokens that you have to pay that you have to buy, which is not inconsiderable, especially right. at the low par values that you'll generally be bringing companies up in the first round. Yeah, you could spend a third of your of your capital on yes. tokens if you're on the low end, um, and then but then on the other hand, if you if you do take the risk and you and you get that money and you get the um, partial cap company, that trade off is that. Later in the game, when you have money, you can get a lot of money into it. But early in the game, when you don't have a lot of money, uh, you're starting off with very little money. But then throughout the game, potentially, you can pump more money into it. Whereas chartered companies started early in the game tend to stall out if they don't become part of a merger later on. So I have so. Two, two questions that relate to this. One for Randy is, how often have you seen successful non-chartered companies or uh, incremental cap companies, right? in the early game, because I, I know it tends to be the pattern so far in the two that I've played that chartered is strong early because you get that early injection of money. Um, that depends a lot on player count. 
So it, um, the four-player game, players start with 600 pounds, which is enough to bring up two companies. And even if you don't, if you choose not to bring up two companies, there are some very powerful one-company starts. You still tend to par at a level where you could bring up a second company or could buy five shares of someone else's company um, if you so choose. So there isn't as much uh, cash there. And if you want to bring up a, um, a incremental cap company in a uh, six-player game, you, your trade-off, either you're doing, say, 10 at 60 pounds um, or you're sitting on some money so that the company will have some shares, but you're going to have you're going to be light compared to everybody else around the table. And your company is probably not going to have as much cash as, as you'd like it to have. If you did, say, uh, 10 shares at, at 60 pounds, you got 600 pounds less the tokens, which is at least 80. That's 520, which is more than anyone else will have. But they all have two companies. They're going to have somewhere around 400 pounds if they, if they par at 58. Um, in a five-player game, the money is less efficient and so there are some starts where a um, incremental cap company can work um, it has to be done fairly carefully uh, but there tends to be a little bit of a stall in, in a five-player game because of the way the uh, capital comes into the game in the in the initial operating round um, where you can you can afford to be making a little less than everyone else. And then in the mid game, when those initial companies stall, you, you can buy the, the, the extra shares out of your company and put big train money into it and, uh, and really uh, take off to the races. Um, so it really depends on, on the player count. And um, I would just say that if, if you're newer to the title, at least on the the first companies you start, you probably want to stick with the the chartered companies. There, it's a lot easier to work with having all that money up front, and it's a lot harder to uh, chart your way through uh, the game with with the incremental cap. But it can be very powerful if you're able to do so. And some people will do one of each in a in a four player game. Um, that c can work. It's it's a it's a challenge. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know if I just got lucky with right right place, right time and right place in our four-player game, but starting a incremental cap company later gave me the flexibility to part very high in order to get two track lays in a row before anybody else operated, which was essential for me getting into London, which was one of the next things I wanted to talk about. Um, but that I think that's one of the really important late-game considerations with, incre with the incremental cap is being able to par up to 200 pounds. Um, which so, can really be important for operating order. Absolutely. And, and to break trains over people's right, heads. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So bef that's exactly what I wanted to say, that before we go on to London, um, <laughs> parring in this game is particularly interesting because of the train roster. It, it seems to me anyway, the, uh, the A trains, which is the first to come out, they come with a, a warranty, but they rust so quickly compared to the other trains, they rust on what, C trains? Is that correct? On Cs, yes. Right, so there's A, Bs, and Cs, and they're, what is it, 765 or 876? 765. 765, so there's seven As, six Bs, and five Cs, and the companies have so much money when they start generally, and there's so many of them, that in the two games that I've played, 
the A's come out and whoever's operating first is going to buy those, probably two of those, um, generally, or at least, or in that ballpark. And if you manage to jockey to be later in the, in the round, you can end up with B trains, which seem very strong. They don't rust for, they, they take significantly longer to rust and they run for a very, very long time. I think they um, rest on E's, right? They rust on E's. They're the best yeah. value in the game. Yeah. Certainly. And D's, I would say, and it kind of makes sense because, and we didn't really say what a warranty is for those that haven't played, but a warranty is protection against rusting for every warranty gives you one additional run after the rusting event would occur for that train. Uh, that, that's not accurate. A, a, oh. a warranty is a guaranteed run, whether the, the train is rusted or not. So... You remove a warranty every time the train operates. It doesn't matter if the the rusting train has broken. True, out. true. So you could waste warranties. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. You could overbuy them right. and, and end up not needing them. My mistake. Yeah. So every time you run, you remove a warranty. The idea for buying them is that after they've rusted, you remove you get to run them and remove the warranties. But yeah, if you if you buy warranties on trains and and they don't rust as quickly as you expected, then you could have wasted money. So that's uh, one consideration. But the A's. Um, and the D's each come with a warranty, and even though D's are rusted by G's, I think, um, so you would think that those wouldn't rust very quickly. They rust about as quickly as the A's do, because at that point, it's when people are starting their second or third companies, and there's a lot of money in the game at that point, Uh, so the D's actually go very, very quickly. They're probably the second worst value than as the A's, right? And especially because you're getting into permanence at that point. I mean, th- there's a reason why you get a free warranty. Right. <laughs> the, the, the game is telling you something there. Mm-hmm. And actually, yeah, that so was that was my downfall in our three-player game. I ended up with three of the five D trains. Oh boy, um, four. Or of the four D trains, and uh, it was it was pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> I, I ended I clawed my way back up to second because I had a, a, a one thousand three hundred forty dollar run at the end of the game. Uh, but it wasn't quite enough to catch the leader at that point. Yeah, so, I mean, the, the point of pointing that out is that the that initial stock round, like what you're parting your companies at is a very interesting decision uh, in this game. That It seems like the, you know, the, the companies that are operating first, while they do get, like, priority t- tile laying, which could be useful if if you're trying to map a very specific route out, I think, probably for local companies that might be important um but it's generally it seems to be better we saw an example in our game where we had two local companies running where johnny was able to start his lower than mine and then i laid my initial two um dit dit tile lays two yellow tiles which you can lay two yellow tiles in this game if you're just doing yellows um and not an n city and he was able to then like take advantage of that and basically double his his income um and stay keep taking advantage of my tile a's which was pretty interesting so parring is cool yeah and then i and the the other interesting thing about that is that you you can't you know somebody might be saying well why don't you just not lay track that's going to be helpful to the other local but you can't really do that because the map is so tight that if you don't work together, that local each person's local run is going to be so bad that whoever's the the third or fourth or fifth player that doesn't it's not part of that uh, group of companies that has local trains uh, is going to be benefiting far more than either of the two companies that are basically laying tragic track for each other. So yeah, you have to a, kind of work together. We did a bit of that, being kind of not super friendly to each other 
And I think that's generally been our mode of operation is like meanness. And it definitely doesn't seem to pay off as well in this game. And maybe in general, I think in other games, like I know companies do like work together to, you know, jump out into the lead and then somebody will stab somebody in the back late in the game. But I haven't seen that happen a whole lot in our games. Like I rarely see two people colluding and saying like, yeah, let's, let's do this cool network laying together and work together. Yeah. And I actually think we did a pretty good job at, with, you know, with Randy's guidance of laying some pretty good local track between the first two locals. It was later in the game, there was a, a particular station that blocked out a third local from participating in that, uh, in that network. And that kind of made the end game local runs not as good as they could have been. But of course, there are always other considerations. Mm -hmm. Usually the locals need to cooperate. They need so many tiles laid. Um, for a ma for perspective, in in our group, we typically play five set games, which works out to eleven ORs, and the last three you can't lay track anyway. So you only have eight tile lay actions for your initial companies, and locals really, really, really need to lay those double yellows. They got to get their their pips down, and if they're not working together, the the locals end up laying town pip, town pip, and um, they're not running for the, the money that they could be running if they could work in to each other's networks. Usually two will work really well. Sometimes three can, can also work spectacularly well. Um, there's always a bit of a, a game of chicken over, over certain token spots. And um, a lot of the game is about figuring out where you actually need the tokens and where you can afford to let it ride and, and take the risk. Uh, much as, as you guys pointed out with the, um, uh, the parring, um, you can par higher and then you have the advantage of, of track priority and you can lay the track the way you want it or you can par lower and maybe take advantage of some very good tracks, but you're taking a risk. So there's a lot of that baked into the game at, at various stages. Yeah, and one of the big risks, I think, comes in the fact that, and I'm sort of skipping ahead, um, so we'll go back to London, but the fact that there's no merging track in this game uh, makes that risk higher than it would be in other games because once somebody's laid a piece of track, if you can't if you can't run on it and you've got to run through it, you have to lay some crossing track to get around it uh, or, or go around it the long way if you can. Uh, but, yeah, once that track's laid, it's, it's pretty permanent. <laughs> It, it just burns actions. As Eric Brosius says, there's no forking track in this game. So that'll help you remember it. Yeah, so one of those things that you got to, you know, we have to watch out for as far as tokening in this game is trying to ensure a spot in London because London is the big value city, but it's an off-board in this game and it's kind of a weird, unique off-board where you have to put a token at the off board and it takes your entire tile lay action. You can't do anything else. Um, it's, it is mutually exclusive to laying track of any kind for that turn. And it's worth like $200 per, well, $200 for the train that hits it um, in the end game, which is pretty good. Yeah, for some perspective, I think the next highest is, is it one thirty or one forty? One thirty. One thirty. One thirty. Yeah. Ports. Is the next highest. So oh, it's no, sorry. There's a one forty red off. There is a one forty. Yeah. So it's it's at least it's sixty higher than the next red off board, but the ports that you're that you're trying to run to on the other side of the board, it's seventy higher than. So it's 
significantly more revenue than any other location on the board. And it starts at a 10, which is is pretty considerable. I mean, 100 or 10 per share. It's it, it starts very high. Right. And there's only four spots to be had in London, too. So if you don't get one of those four, you're not getting in there. And that's bad. Yeah, I think knowing the... I think there's a couple things that having played a couple times, I would really keep in mind at the very beginning of the game. And that's factoring in the, the train roster and where where your company starts and how you're going to get to London because A, you need to make sure that you're going to be able to get to London and get a token in, which uh, I think that's going to depend on the, the company mix, the um, the permit mix, and how many play, the player count of the game mm-hmm. um, heavily on those three factors. But then you also need to make sure that you're going to end up with a train that's going to be able to run the right distance. So if you plan a route from London to, uh, and I don't know the map well enough to say which port this is, but the port that takes eight eight hexes that you have to go through. And right, then, Yarmouth port. Yeah, Yarmouth. And you end the game with a, a seven freight train. Well, now you've not, you, you won't get to do your London run at the end of the game. <laughs> uh, we also didn't mention that locals don't go off board at all. They don't, don't go to ports or to right. London or They're local. off ports. So if you get a local company to start you can maybe secure a way into London, but then you need to look to another company to merge in or to merge your local into somebody else to have either a freight or an express train to, to even hit it. So mm-hmm. that's an interesting piece of the puzzle as well. Man, there's a lot going on in this game. There's so much stuff. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, so just for the sake of, of time constraints, Randy. Yes. We've covered a few things, but there's so much depth to this game that we're not going to cover it all. What is like the one thing that people walk away from this having learned an important thing about 1862 that they should know that we haven't already talked about? Uh, I think if I could describe one thing, if I could gush about one thing in this game, I would I would say that it's dense. Um, the the total game length is is reasonably short uh, for our group. It's usually around four hours. Um, it's certainly been less than that, and I've also been in six hour games, but it's usually around four. Um, so it's very short. And and as I mentioned before, we usually play five set games. It's 11 ORs and five stock rounds. And three of those ORs, you're not doing anything except running and maybe buying a train. Um, so you don't have a lot of decisions to make. And each decision you make is therefore freighted with extreme importance because there's just no takes backsies. You, you're kind of stuck with, with the track that you laid and uh, maybe you end up getting another company later and merging it in and realizing, oh man, that, that local route that was so good early on has now totally crushed the, uh, the good freight routes that I was hoping to, to run from London and what do I do? So it's a very dense game. Every decision matters a lot. And um, all the players who are experienced realize this. So there's this um, motivation to cooperate with those, those very precious track lays. But then you all have these different license types. So now there is a motivation not to cooperate because you want very different uh, track arrangements to go down on the board. Um, pay very close attention to how the pips go in. Because there's no forking tiles, uh, every 
endpoint is going to be unique. So it'll be a unique route through the hex when you lay that. And um, there are uh, groups of pips uh, sprinkled around the board. Um, there's three right in a row above Ipswich. You'll, you'll see them right away. And just as a, an example, when those pips go in, they will speak a lot to the relative value of strengths of freights versus locals. And um, when a local manages to lay them all three together across, that means someone has to use an action to, to green one of those uh, and put a crossing track in to get a freight out and north of Ipswich, which is a pretty crucial area. So focus on London. It's a good good thing to focus on. Focus on on where those pips are and and how the tiles go in, and um, have a lot of fun with mergers. The game is a lot more fun when you build big companies with lots of things merged in. That, that may not be the strongest play, uh, and you'll figure that out later. But explore the mergers a lot uh, in your early plays. You'll you'll really enjoy some of the nasty runs that you can pull off. Oh, and focus on red to blue. <laughs> Make sure you get your tokens down in places that guarantee red to blue access. Yep. So before we like just move on, uh, I, I got some speed points I want to hit because we're not going to get to all of it, but there's so much more that we've talked about that, we, that we've been able to talk about. And I'm just going to hit a couple highlights. One in this game, withholding is actually good and you want to do it sometimes. Oh, that's crazy uh, because you can quad jump your companies. And that's worth a lot in the end of the game. Um, like Randy said, merging companies is fun and interesting and you can build a mega corp and it's entertaining. And I like that. You can own a hundred percent of a company in this game. And that is interesting. You can sell a hundred percent of the company down too and put it into receivership. You don't, you're not stuck with something that somebody dumps on you. You can just say, I don't care. I don't want this and sell it. Um, Companies are actually worth less if they don't have a train, which is kind of interesting and realistic. Like if a company is full of shit and nobody likes it and it's not doing anything, people are going to pay less for it. Um, you can refinance companies in this game, which is cool, because if you run out of money, you can just say, ah, I need to take a loan, sort of, and you sort of issue shares and whatever, and you end up with a whole nother set of capitalization, which is fun. This game is also very fast. In our first game, it took us four hours and 11 minutes, and three of us of the five that we're playing had never played before. And obviously, this is you know thanks to Randy walking us through the rules and stuff, but Johnny, in your last three-player game, how long did that take you? Just about three hours. Three hours. That's crazy. And this is because, I think largely because, or, or in part because, the last three operating rounds that you do, you're not allowed to do anything. So you can't do the stupid, like, eh, I'm going to lay this track and now everybody needs to recalculate because I got 10 more dollars or whatever. And that it, sounds, in one way, that sounds kind of bad that your entire last set, you don't do anything. But I have to say, it's not. It's great because everything that you've built up to, to the end game run, you get to see for a full set of ORs. So you don't get to the point where I finally got that great run at the end and, oh, game's over. I don't even get to do it. You always get to get the satisfaction of everything you've built towards happening at the end for a full set without the time it takes in most other games to, to yeah. run out that full set. It's victory lap. So I'm gushing, but like this game is incredible. It is my number one, spoiler, my number one 18xx game or game period i've never played a better game in my in my opinion it's my favorite game and i've played it twice so i got i'm excited <sighs> yeah I, I i don't know 
it, it's up there like one like like maybe one one or two i don't know i don't know if i could say it's my favorite yet but i want to i want to get a lot more games of it in so that tells you something about it <laughs> there's a lot more to unpack <laughs> yeah you've only seen the tip of the iceberg I've played uh, 90 some odd times and I've probably played um, somewhere in the neighborhood of 500 XX games all day. So about a fifth of my plays have been 1862. Uh, so it's definitely my favorite. <laughs> cool. And uh, we're in a, we're in a club we're together. definitely not getting paid, although we would accept getting paid to, to gush about this game. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. So... <laughs> All right, so let's uh, pay dividends. Do we want to pay our divs? I do. Let's pay divs. All right. So we don't necessarily have... Uh, I, I'm going to put this up as a tentative. I know Eric can't make it, but we're going to try early January to do a stream of 1860 because I'm excited to get to the table maybe the 8th, maybe a week or two after that. Um, we'll update when we get closer to it, but look early to mid-January for an 1860 stream. By the way, cool. speaking of streams... If we've wet your appetite at all for 1862 and you missed it, we did a live stream where Randy taught the game and we played our first first player, uh, first play of it, Johnny and I, on our channel at Board Game Informant uh, on YouTube. So we will put a link to that in the show notes and you can go watch the game that we played and learn it if you don't know it um, or criticize us and laugh at us if you do. <laughs> yep. And next we have our train fact. So we're going to talk about horsepower and how that came to be a term. So it was developed by James Watt. Um, yes, the same person that the SI unit Watt is named after. Um, and it was actually developed as a marketing tool in the 1760s. So Watt designed, or he he didn't design the first steam engine, but uh, he's known for modernizing it and making it much more efficient than the original design by adding a condenser. Um, and when he did this, he thought that he needed a good way to market this. And so he he figured out how much power a single horse could produce working in a mill and then determined how many horses a single one of his engines could replace. I want to give some context here. And the, the way that he determined that, the number, which is uh, roughly is, so it's 32,572 foot-pounds of work per minute. And how did he come up with that? He determined that a horse could turn a, a mill wheel 144 times in an hour and that it could pull with a force of 180 pound for, pounds force or 800 newtons, which works out to, once you calculate the circumference and the different di- distance around that mill, that number. And then he rounded to 33. To put context on what that means is that one mechanical horsepower, which is I think a slightly different unit of measure, um, is a horse lifting a 550 pound object by one foot in one second. So that's the power of a horse. Math. And one thing that I, that I failed to find for this fact, but it, <clears throat> looking, looking at it now, I probably should have, is how much, how, how much horsepower his, his initial engine actually produced. Um, God damn it. so we will make sure that we talk about that in the, uh, housekeeping of the next episode, but Long story short, this unit became the standard, and uh, as we know, we still refer to engines in horsepower. Watt's steam engine could do five times more work than his single draft horse was doing. Ah, okay. Uh, we won't do it in the next episode. Should have said it. I was going to say five. So five horsepower, five horsepower was the first, the first modern steam engine. Um, so not only did this unit become the standard, but Watt's innovations on the steam engine became the basis for the invention 
of the first steam locomotive in 1804. And we can thank him for 18xx games being a thing. <laughs> Thanks, James Watt. <laughs> Train shuffling brought to you by James Watt. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. So that's our cool, cool train fact. I got a, a fun one for next time. I'm excited about it. So, all right, awesome. So let's buy some trains. What's our what's our listener question for next next episode? It's a good question. What is our listener question? I don't know. <laughs> it's right. Th- you you have it highlighted. Oh, okay, that thing. All right. Yeah. Uh, well, I wasn't sure if it's too similar to another one. Uh, so what's the? I guess the question is, what's the biggest aha moment? Aha moment that you've had in an 18xx game, or I guess throughout your career. So as in some concept clicking in your brain, not the stabby kind of aha. <laughs> nice. Thanks, Johnny, <laughs> for clarifying that. Hey, it could be it could be interpreted either way. That, that's an ouch moment. Do you mind <laughs> if I buy a train across? Sure. Go for it. Uh, my biggest aha moment came several years ago. I was at a convention and I had uh, the good fortune to uh, have dinner with Bruce Beard. And we were chatting about 18xx generally. And he talked about how an 18xx game under its hood is really composed of, um, I think he said like four mini games. And he then went on to enumerate them and what they were. Of course, I don't remember the specifics, but I use that model uh, for analyzing um, an 18xx game. And I think it's a good one. And just roughly uh, sketching it out, you've got the, uh, the game that happens on the map, the routing game where tiles and tokens get down. You have the company finance game, my, my personal favorite that I talked about at the top of the episode. You have the uh, speculation or investment game, depending on whether it's a speculation or investment style game uh, happening in the stock round. And then you have the uh, clock game or the train rush game um, where you, the player, can weigh in on whether you want to push or stall the game. Um, so that's a good way of, of looking at, at how it goes. And I think if you look at a title that you like, you could see what elements are stronger in that one compared to, say, a, a game that you don't care for and, and maybe look for other games that um, have that strong mini game uh, that you like so much in it. Mm-hmm. Cool. Thank you for that. And that's nice. Yeah. And just as a side note, we, in this part of town, we call buying trains across train shuffling. What? <laughs> <laughs> Not everybody does. <laughs> so I think that's I think that's it for this episode. Do we have any like shout outs or anything, Eric? Uh, I do. And it is gonna take me as long as it takes for this Google search to happen. So I'm just gonna keep talking. Oh no, this is not very helpful. We did um <clears throat> I'm trying to call attention to our Google voice number, our hotline as you will. Oh, I know it. You know it? Yeah. It's yeah. It's yeah. 410-357-1898. Thank you, Johnny. So we got a couple of uh, messages, I guess. <laughs> did you get these, Johnny? I, I deleted them. Yes, the yes, I did. <laughs> From some guy who has the wrong number and keeps <laughs> calling us and asking for us to call him back. So <laughs> um, if you have the 
gumption to please answer our voicemail or call with uh, you know questions or comments for the show and leave them there and we'll play them on air and I please please somebody do that please yeah so that's 410-357-1898 it's an 18xx number all right that's the only shout outs I have oh besides the fact that Randy our wonderful guest is writing a series of strategy articles that have been I've noticed begun to be uh, published on Board Game Geek for 1862, which are very helpful for people like me getting interested in this game. So thank you, Randy. Um, oh, thank you. You 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 preempted my my shout out to myself. <laughs> yeah, I'm Disco King Seven on Board Game Geek. I've been uh, working. My gamer resolution this year was to contribute more to the 18xx forums on BGG, which often don't get a lot of of robust discussion. And uh, part of how I'm doing that is by writing a series of articles for 1862. I posted review a little while ago, and now I'm working through a series, a general strategy series, which is my way of saying it's spoiler light. So I don't get too deeply into the weeds on the strategy talk for those who are, are fairly new to it and don't and want to still have a lot of stuff to unpack. Uh, I've got two more articles to post and then uh then i'll do a summary uh which is probably the only one people will read because it'll just be all my rules of thumb uh without you having to read all of my other asides the tldr and, uh, yeah it'll be a tldr that you can print out and and just put in the box if if that's helpful Ooh, 18 tldr 18 tldr <laughs> and then eventually i'm going to get started on a more uh robust strategy series which um Probably three people will read because I'll read it. it's a strategy article yeah. on the geek. Who's going to read it besides me and Eric? Are you proofreading <laughs> it? Me proofreading it many, many times. So we are going to link those articles in the show notes. And as well as if you go to the Board Game Geek link to our 1862 video, Randy wrote up kind of a post-mortem on the, the game, which is interesting to read after having watched it or played it, in my, in my case, to see like, his take on the implications of how things played out, which is cool. All right. Well, that's it, everybody. We'll uh, see you next time. Run Thanks for trains, listening. Pay divs and uh, enjoy this adro. Hey, it's Eric. If you have comments, questions, or ideas about this or a future episode, we can be reached by email at boardgameinformant at gmail.com, on Twitter at BG Informant, on our hotline at 410. 410- Three five seven eighteen ninety eight, or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash board game informant. You could subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash C slash board game informant. If you want to support the show, you can become a Patreon at patreon.com slash meek informant. Oh, and don't forget, run your trains and pay your divs.